years ago, maybe maybe 15 years ago, I preached a message in San Antonio called 10 Myths Concerning Money and Giving. In San Antonio, we, we had a business meeting once a year, typically the last Sunday of January. And that was usually my Sunday for preaching on money. Now, if I was preaching through a letter preaching through a portion of Scripture and something concerning money came up, well, obviously I would deal with it again. But it was not uncommon at GCC for the people there to get one sermon a year on money. And I've revised this, and I've got a new sermon, basically, for us today, but I've entitled it the same thing, 10 Myths Concerning Money and Giving. And I'm not going to give you the same myths that I dealt with there. Uh, some may be similar and some are new. What is a myth? Help me out here. Right. A widely held belief a widely held story, a widely held supposition, a widely held idea that just simply isn't true. A myth is something that people commonly believe, but it's, it, it's a fallacy. And so, I'm going to give you some myths, some things that people believe about money. Now, I'm, look, I'm not interested in the guy across the street. I'm interested in Christians. And so, Christian, I'm dealing with us here in this place today about things that I have come to recognize over the years that Christians tend to believe about money and giving that doesn't seem to line up with Scripture. Now, some of these you know in theory, but you still fall for the myth. And I, 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 you'll see what I mean in a second. But here's myth number one. You ready? Are you on the edge of your seats? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me. Help us at this time to be open to your word, to be teachable. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, myth number one. I feel this, and I fall for this myth. In San Antonio, we were in the inner city. I basically carried this thinking over here, and I don't know how the church did it before I got here. We were in the inner city. We had a bunch of poor people coming out of the... I mean, we were among the prostitutes. We were down there. We wanted to get the gospel to needy people. Last thing I wanted was for people to ever come in the church and feel like we talked about money all the time or we were begging for money. I never wanted an offering plate. I never wanted to pass some offering basket or offering, you know, they have the little wooden things with the some kind of some kind of uh, pouch between it. Anyways, I've never 
I never wanted to pass a an offering plate because I did not want people coming into that church thinking that that's why we wanted them there to get their money. Our approach was put an offering box in back and leave it there and don't say anything. If somebody asks, sure, say, well, we put our offerings in that box back there. But other than that, that I called that a miracle box in San Antonio because God did many a miracle, and we didn't have to ask. It was much like Mueller's approach. I wasn't going to ask. I wasn't going to beg. There's the offering box, and it was a miracle box to see what went in there. And, and oftentimes people would come and they would ask. But here, here's they would ask, how do we give here? How come you don't say anything about how to give here? Like, hey, doesn't that, isn't that normal in the church? Well, look, what I'm saying here is I fall for this first myth. Talking about money is unspiritual. It's not. That's a myth to say that talking about money is unspiritual. But you know what happens when you talk about money? You tend to sound like the people that talk about money all the time. You, you sound like the people who beg for money all the time. You ever seen these weepy-eyed women with the huge eyelashes, crying tears on TV and wanting your money? That's a, See, there is, it's almost like we, we swing with this proverbial pendulum over to the other extreme. And so what happens is this. We take talking about money as being this ungodly thing. This is one of the reasons I only had a sermon about money once a year. Why? Because I didn't want to talk about it that much. I figured leave it to the Lord to, to instill in the hearts joyful givers and leave it to the Lord. We'll talk about the needs out there in the world and the different things we give to and the different ministries we have going. But you know what? By and large, it's just let, let God deal with people about this. So what can happen is we create in our mind this idea that there's a separation of my spiritual life from my financial life. So I get my spiritual deal over here and I got my financial deal over here. And see, see we can think, well, God cares more about my doctrine. You know, I need to be a Calvinist and I need to get my election down and I need to figure out what the gospel is and I need to figure out that's what God really cares about. Far, far more than what I do with my money or how I think about my, my money. Well, that's, that's just a myth. There's no, there's no reality to it. But let me, let me give you some ideas about the things we tend to sh make us shy away from the money thing. Now, you all know that the, the church that I pastored in the U.S., that prior to the location we're in right now over there, which is a warehouse, do you all know that we met in a restaurant? Have you seen pictures of that? It was painted brightly yellow. Well, the owner of that restaurant, his name is Mark Outing. And Mark went to an east side church. That's where God saved him. And then through a number of events, he ended up at our church. But he told me stories. He said in his... Now, Understand, his church was charismatic. It was one of these health, wealth, prosperity things. One of these apostolic, new apostolic or whatever. I, I, you probably don't even have them here, but it's, uh, he said they talked about money every single meeting. Not just talked about it, it was an emphasis. And he said, 
they took an offering. They brought it to the front. The deacons looked in there. They say, not enough. Pass them again. That kind of thing would happen. And you, you know what? You can understand why somebody that gets saved out of those circles thinks talking about money is an ungodly thing. You know what they did in his church? They had an offering for the first lady's wardrobe. There's first lady right there. What are you, what are you all going to buy her this week? Come on, her, her closet is looking a little sparse. Now, but now seriously, you know what they did in that church? They had an anniversary offering for the pastor and his wife. And they were told, the church was told, you will raise $10,000. And so they split the church up into quarters. And this quarter, you guys have responsibility for $2,500. Just because you're from Germany, you're not opted out. You better come up with it. And, and they put them compete. And so you had quadrants in the church and they were competing with each other for who could raise it fastest and who could get. Anyways, this is what church Mark came out of. You know what? There's a woman that was visiting our church. She said, you know, I used to go to this church right down there. I knew exactly the one. We drive right by it going to the warehouse where we meet right now. All these folks are walking in there. A woman, a woman that came to our church who had been visiting that place, she said, you know what happened one Sunday? She said, the pastor's wife got up in the pulpit and she says, we don't want your tens and twenties. We want fifties and hundreds. And they dance around. You ever see it? This is craziness. I've seen this before. They dance around. They get in this line. They go around and they march everybody by the offering spittoon that's up front and they're throwing all their stuff in there. And it's like, listen, you know what? The truth is you see that kind of stuff, all the coercion that goes on and the manipulation and the extortion and the con men and the beggars and the scandals, it's all around us. These ungodly appeals for money in the name of Jesus Christ, woe unto those people who fatten themselves on the sheep of God. And so you know what happens? We recoil to the other extreme. That's, that's precisely what happens. We swing all the way over. And you know the thing is, it's like the terminology used in Scripture almost makes it sound as bad as it is. It's, it's like the KJV rendering of 1 Peter 5, 2 is feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for, do you know how the King James reads right there? Not for filthy lucre that sounds pretty ugly or there's this the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils or this i tell you make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous wealth or unrighteous king james says mammon so think about filthy lucre the root of all kinds of evil but you know the thing is even though the bible uses that terminology it's actually talking about money when it uses that terminology. You see, it's not avoided. It's spoken about. Yes, we can put the ugly slants on it, but we still need to talk about it if we're going to be biblical. It's, it's, it all sounds very negative, and it is. But the fact is it's being discussed. It's not being avoided. I can remember when I was first saved. Oh, I was reading John MacArthur's Gospel According to Jesus. I was blown away by the deity of Christ. 
I wanted to know about the nature of true repentance. I wanted all oh, this. My soul hungered after it. I was, I would drive home. I would get home. It was like seven o'clock or seven thirty every single weekday. John MacArthur was on the radio and whatever I was doing, I had to get home. I had to listen to that. And I remember when they introduced his next series and they said, Pastor MacArthur is going to be talking about money. He's going to do this series. And I thought, oh, not that. I wanted deep doctrine. But you know what? As disappointed as I was, after that series was over, I recognized from a biblical, I was a brand new Christian. I recognized I did not know anything about how I was supposed to handle money as a Christian. I was so in the dark. I mean, it, 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 it just revealed, uh, it revealed so much about me. And the, the truth is money does reveal a lot about all of us. It touches upon the, most of our lives. Every single day we're dealing with money in one shape or form, each one of us. And, and how we deal with money reveals a tremendous amount about where our priorities are and what we chiefly love. You can't get away from it. If you show me what you do with money, I can tell about you. I can tell about your life. Jesus never considered this topic something to be avoided or a topic that was unspiritual. Filthy lucre? Yep. But still, there's a place to bring it up. And here's the thing, if we're brave enough to look at what Jesus says, just Jesus in the Gospels, what he says about money, if, if we're brave enough to sit and really think, what did Jesus say? I'll tell you what he said. He said, I'm Lord, and if you call me Lord, the expectation is that you're going to do what I say. And you know what? There is, there is a reality that in the church, many Christians are not bowing. And of course, that's going to end up in the, I mean, in the end, it really challenges, were we genuine or not? Do we heed his voice? You know what? If you're going to listen to Jesus, be prepared to be surprised be prepared to be challenged, be prepared to be uncomfortable, be prepared to be convicted. And don't dare say, oh, that's the pastor's opinion. That is so easy when you disagree with something to say, I disagree with him. And you're pointing to the guy in the pulpit. When all he did was say what Jesus said. So don't do that. Folks don't like to admit that it's Jesus who annoys them. So it's always easy to put the blame on a man. But, brother, what you want to be able to do is just imagine, after all the things that Jesus said in the Gospels, if he sat down with you and he looked at your credit card statement, your bank card statement, your checking statement, or whatever statements you have, your financial statements, if Jesus sat with you at a table and went through how you spent all the money, would you, you think he might... I mean, if you knew that appointment was coming, oh, I got an appointment 4 p.m. tomorrow to sit with Jesus and it, with the four Gospels open, and he, there's going to be an expectation that my life actually complied with the things he said there, and he wants me to bring all my financial statements. Brethren, do you know that day is coming, right? 
we call it judgment day when the guy that went on the long journey is going to come back and we have to give an account for how we used everything. You, you all do remember that you do have that 4 p.m. appointment, though it may not be exactly 4 and it may not be tomorrow, but it's coming, brethren. And what did he say? I mean, one of the chief things that he says to his people is do not lay up for yourselves treasures here. He said this, Moth and rust destroy those things here. Thieves break in and steal those. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And brethren, that's not just some cold, hard, legal thing. That's like the most loving thing he could say. He's saying to us, look, I know what the best thing to do with your money is. You want to do such things with your money that is going to lead to the greatest treasure for the greatest amount of time. And I know how that happens. And it's not laying it up here. Because if you lay it up here, you know what he's saying? Things like financial crisis and housing markets plummet and, yeah, moth and rust and thieves. Don't put it there. Don't put it where those things can get to it. Lay it up where you have treasure in heaven. And I'll tell you this. Do you find Christians, when you read to them verses about money, they want to immediately start figuring out all the things it doesn't mean? Brethren, what's that? What is that when you hear God's Word and you just try to minimize it to the point where you make it mean nothing? These are the commands of our Lord. We call Him Lord. He saved us. Every knee shall bow. And see, we look at ourselves as those who have already bowed that knee. We look at the lost out there. They're going to be forced to bow in that day. But I wonder, are our knees bowed now when it comes to money? He says, you can't serve God in money. You know that verse. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. You know what? Who you serve, you can't serve God in money. And he turns right after that and he says, don't be anxious. Do you know what you're anxious about tells exactly what you serve? Don't be anxious about what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear. The Gentiles... Seek after these things. Brethren, you know what? We are not, we're, we're physical Gentiles. We're not spiritual Gentiles. We are spiritual Jews. We're in the holy lineage. You know what happens when you get anxious about all the things the world get, gets anxious about when it comes to financial situations in your life? You act like a lost person. That's, that's the idea there. The Gentiles do that. Have you ever heard this? Give to everyone who begs from you. And from him or from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. You ever notice how people look at that? Well, well, it can't mean this and it can't mean that and it can't mean this and it can't mean that. And then they walk away from it. They just told you the four things, the ten things it can't mean. Brethren, you get the feeling that when somebody comes looking for something from us, Jesus wants us to be ready givers. Now, I know he doesn't want us to be the Amish 
you know, the Amish basically have this, there, there are many of them Amish that take this so literally that they would let thieves come up to their house and unload their furniture and cart it away. They're not going to resist if somebody is abusing their wife. And he said, look, obviously that's not what we're talking about, but giving what Jesus wants is people who give, they give, they give, they're givers. He gives us what he gives us to be givers. You need to remember that. There's this. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners. You see, before it was even Gentiles. Now it's even sinners do this. Brethren, we, we need to rise above sinners and Gentiles. And how we handle money. So, remember this? Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus didn't say, Well, you know, I can't, this, this is really an uncomfortable subject and we don't like to talk about money or greed or covetousness. No, you know what? He, Jesus gives us a long teaching here. And you know what he says in the end? You know who you don't want to be? The guy, the woman, that God says, you fool. Your soul's required of you, and you have not been rich towards God. Look, we all have decisions to make when it comes to money. But you know what? In a nutshell, what you want, what I want, is we want to come when we have to give an account and have it be said, we were rich towards God. Yes, you have to pray through these things. Yes, you have to wrestle through these things. But in the end, what should characterize us? Rich towards God. We're told this in Luke 12, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Are your knees bowed to Christ here? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. And it's the same reason again. Why? Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. Is that, doesn't that almost sound carnal? What? I'm supposed to do it for money bags? Yep, that's what Jesus says. That's really wise, folks, to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Why? So that you have money bags that don't, they, don't, they can't be lost. They're forever. They can't grow old. That's what you want. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. Here's another time. Jesus looked up. You know what? Jesus not only talked about these different things, he also would take his disciples and bring them over. Remember the temple and the offerings? He's like, hey, boys, come here. It's time for school. Watch this widow over here. See this poor lady? See the two mites she just threw into the offering? Guys, you may think these other folks over here are given a lot, but you know what all they're doing is giving out of their abundance. They're not really changing their lifestyle. They're not really, this isn't really affecting them. You see this woman? She threw in all she had. And you know what he doesn't say? Well, that was foolish. That wasn't wise. He says she's given more than all the others. 
brethren, don't you want to be that? And see, we look at that and we can recognize immediately that, hey, that's a good thing to be like her. The problem is that the problem is with how much we actually are like her. Oh, we recognize it's good, but do we actually imitate? Do we hear what Jesus is teaching? You see, that's why he gathered those guys around, so that they would look at her, realize a truth about what she was doing. He imparts that into their brains, and that they would then imbibe that into their life and into their teaching. Brethren, all talking about money is not unspiritual. And you know this, there was a guy, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. You come follow me. You remember that guy? And then Jesus, another perfect teaching opportunity. Gentlemen, he gathers his disciples around. You know what? It is really difficult for rich people to be saved. It is easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle. I rode a camel. I went to Egypt. I rode a camel there. They're big. If you try to get the camel through the eye of a needle, you got to do some pretty major wreckage to that camel. Not going to happen. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men to be saved. See, myth number one, it's unspiritual to talk. No, 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 no. Jesus talked about it on a fairly regular basis. The Gospels are full of it. Here's myth number two, and I pull from the last illustration. Here's myth number two. I am not rich. You see, it's easy, easier, camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. But what do we do? I'm not rich. Because we tend to compare ourselves with the most wealthy, with the guys that run the huge corporations and are they have the billions. Listen, listen to this. I read Brother, or I listen, was listening to a message by Brother Andy. He said, he lived these years of affluence in the United States. And then he went to China. And he said, it was like a fish that lives in water. A fish doesn't realize he lives in water. Why? Because that's where he lives. That's his environment. And oftentimes we get in these rich cultures. God happened to have us born in these places that are more affluent. And we're like the fish. And he said he went to China and he was like this fish that got thrown up on the bank flopping around and suddenly he came to realize the rest of the world does not live like us. Listen to this. Folks, the vast majority of the world, they live day by day just trying to eat, just trying to survive. They live, you know what this saying, hand to mouth they live hand to mouth. Most work today to eat today. Now, I recognize that these figures I'm going to give you, they vary all the time. 
they vary. To, I mean, I might give you a something that was from 2020, not from 2023. And obviously, when anytime somebody is is taking statistics, they have to draw from certain sources, and those sources can be skewed. But listen, just some numbers I pulled off the internet. The average salary in Nepal, where we have a team operating in Kathmandu, the average salary in Nepal, 490 pounds per month. Compare that to the average in the United Kingdom. What would you guess is the average in the United Kingdom per month? How much? Very close. 2,900 pounds. That's the average. 2,900 pounds per month. 2,900 per month over against 490 per month in Nepal. And that includes Kathmandu. You know what happens when you get out into the rural areas and the villages? 165 pounds per month in total. Where Dan is in Lebanon, among not just Lebanon as a whole, but the Syrian refugees that he works among, what do you think they bring in per month? Any guess? Close, 140 per family, per month. Myanmar, we're supporting the Hamiltons. They're operating across the border among all that turmoil in Myanmar. 80 pounds per person per month. The poverty rate has doubled in that country since the Civil War started. San Patron, he operates in the Philippines. Guess what the average is in the Philippines? 250 pounds per month. Over against 29th, more than 10 times as much in this country. Sam said that when he went to Liberia, they thought that in the United States, money was all over the ground. You just pick it up. Those are the ideas that people have. But you know what? We look at that and we say, well, that's not true. No, but the fact is that when you make more than 10 times as much as they make, or uh, there's people, folks here in this church that make more than that, plenty more than that. You understand why they get these ideas, why they think people from the West are extremely wealthy. You know why? Because we are. Piper said of America, yes, America's average salaries are higher than here. John Piper said it is a Disneyland when he just talked about the make-believe world that we live in compared to the way the rest of the world lives. We have extra money to do things besides just survive. Most of the world does not have that. And so, brethren, we need to think. I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you something. Most of you in this room are rich. If you want to make yourself an exception, compare yourself to what they're making among the Syrian refugees or out in the, out in the rural places in Nepal. You, this government will freely give people more than hardworking men. Why do you think people want to get to places like this? 
I mean, we had we had some guys come over from Romania to work at a McDonald's because they can make more money doing that than they can make there in in Bucharest. What at whatever job, they could come here and amass money. Brethren, we are rich. Now, here's here's what you have to hear. This is what God says to you, rich people. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. Don't just mention it. I charge you, Christian, in the name of the living God. I have authority to do that. I charge you. Charge them. Don't be haughty. That's the first thing. Don't think that because you have more money than them that you're better than them. You have more money because God providentially has given it to you. You don't have anything that hasn't been given to you. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of those riches. Set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now look, if you get more than someone else, it doesn't mean that you can't use some of it to enjoy. We don't want to be legalistic. You can enjoy. You can sit down and enjoy a good meal. You can go out to eat. But listen to this. You, this is the charge. You are to do good. You are to be rich in good works. You are to be generous. You are to be ready to share. And it's the same thing in the end. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves. And get this. As a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Don't you love the way Scripture speaks? You are to be rich in good works so that you may take hold of life eternal. See, wait, I don't like the way it says that. It makes it sound like what I do with my money has to do with whether I get eternal life or not. Hey, I didn't make it up. I'm just reading it to you. You think that, you think that might mean that there's a vital connection between what you do with your money and whether you make it to eternal life? I would say, don't, don't just write that off, folks. But that's, that's the charge to you. If God gives you more, be rich in good works. Rich doesn't mean occasionally you cast a pound of the beggar. On the, that's not what that means. Rich in good works. Brethren, be free. Be, be rich. Okay, here's a third one. You say, at this rate, we're in trouble. If there's 10, ah, just bear with me. Myth number three, justification by faith fixes me. So when it comes to money, I'm basically good. Brethren, I, I fear that way too often that doctrine I was talking about earlier, the righteousness of God, people take that and it's like, I'm righteous by faith. Therefore, I'm good. It really doesn't matter what I do. Now, listen. Are you, are you ready for some humbling news? Jesus said this concerning money. The, the people out here in the streets are more shrewd 
You know what that word means? They're wiser. They're more intelligent. They're more mindful of their interests. It's what Jesus said. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What does that mean? It means this. The guy, there's guys across the street right now. We know. I've heard the stories. There's guys across the street right now live over here in these apartments and they want drugs. And they're after the fleeting pleasures of sin in this life. And you know what Jesus is saying? That these children of this world in pursuing their goals, pursuing their things that have to do with their generation, they're more wise in getting what they're after than we are in going after what we should go after. They're more wise. Brethren, do you recognize what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that when you take all of the children of light through all the ages, that basically at any given time in the history of the church, you know what is common? It is common to find that the people that are living for sin do it better than what we live for. What they do with their money and the ends they try to achieve with their money, they do it wiser than we do it. You ever read that, that Jesus said that? Doesn't that make you just not very happy? I mean, look, brethren, all around us, we were surrounded by this when we were lost. We were surrounded by the worldview of this, this thing out here. This, this whole machinery of the way this world works and money, man's views concerning money, they're diametrically opposed to God's view of what we should do with money. And we've been surrounded that. All these men-centered views of what we ought to do and how we ought to live. And you know what happens? They continue to run deep in the people of God. That's why we're stupid with money so often. What's the opposite of wise? It's unwise or it's stupid or, you know, what are the expressions? We're dumb. We're, we don't have our act together. The world tends to live better for their ends. Now, I know their ends are taking them to hell, but we are people of light. We're the children of light. That means we're supposed to be in the place where we can see. Sonny's talking about having eyes. Have our eyes been opened? If our eyes have been opened, what do we see? What, we ought to be able to see what we should do with our money. Now, look, Jesus is not saying that none of us are wise in how we handle our money. He's just saying they tend to do it better than we do. And that's, he's saying that the, the loss are just generally more wise in pursuing their own ends. When it comes to money, then we are in pursuing our ends. What do we have? We have treasure and money bags that we can store up in glory. And we don't as aggressively pursue it as they pursue their stuff. That's what he's saying. Just because you're saved, just because you, you've been born again because you're justified by faith doesn't mean it fixes everything. It doesn't mean that there isn't the necessary effort to strive to be wiser than them. Okay, myth number four. We have to fight this. It's this myth. If I had more money, I would be happier. Now look, 
if you receive a thousand pounds in your mail slot today, how many of you would feel happy? You are lying to me. It's, a, it's like you're hearing this. And it's like, oh, no, we can't raise our hand. We'll be the ungodly wretch out there. He's going to call us out. Look, if you get a raise at work, you're going to be happy. They're, you know what? If you're wondering how you're, you want to pay bills or you want to give or, you, you know, there's something that you've wanted to do. But here's the thing. I mean, you, look, any of you ever caught yourselves dreaming about Oh, what if, what if I had this much money? What if, what if some long lost uncle just left me this huge amount of money? Are you, you're thinking about some get quick rich scheme? What if, what if you hear somebody won the lotto? Oh, what if I would have won it? And you start imagining what you would do and you catch yourself like two minutes later or 10 minutes later and you've been thinking about this and it's like, what am I even thinking about that for? In the U.S., and maybe you have it here, we have a bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the moist toys wins. You have something like that here? You've seen that in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's commercials constantly bombard us with this mindset that, that more, getting more stuff and more money, it's going to make us happy. You know, you see the guy that wins the lotto, and they, they show him holding the check. And are he and his wife or partner or whoever, are, are they t- typically, do they show him all depressed and sad? No, because they're not going to sell any more lotto tickets if that's. But they show him happy, happy. And, the, you know, the truth is, if you got a raise at work, you probably would be. You come home and tell your wife, I got a raise at work, honey. What is she going to say? Oh, no, that's miserable. We're too spiritual to be happy about that. You know what the problem is with money? It's a temporary fix. That's all it is. I read this online from Psych Central, something called that. Research shows that wealthy countries experience higher rates of depression. Also, children of wealthy parents may have a higher chance of developing mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. However, the reasons for the higher rates of depression aren't clear. Well, maybe not to them. They are to us. Are they not? Here's what Scripture says. There's nothing in it for the soul. You know, the problem with money is it doesn't answer my deepest needs. It doesn't fix what's really wrong with me. Do you... Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? You see, the issue is what satisfies. You get money, are you satisfied? You know what Scripture says? Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Have you ever saw somebody who said, well, if I can only get this, then I'll be satisfied? But they never are, and we never were. It doesn't matter how much of this world you get, you're never satisfied. You always think you need more. If the business prospers, well, you always think it needs to prosper more if you have so much. You know who the blessed one is? You know who the satisfied one is? Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. 
You know what the Ecclesiastes says? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It always is vanity. Money never makes people happy. And you know what? It's true. Go look at the most wealthy people, and you're not going to find the happiest people. You find the most miserable people. The emptiness. This is, is, is there not more? See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. He sought refuge in his own destruction. Well, that sounds really good. You know what the love of money does? It's the root of all kinds of evils, yes. But through that craving, people wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. It just sounds painful. Was Judas happy with his 30 coins? You think Gehazi was happy, ran after Naaman, the, the leper, and he said, hey, you know, my master changed his mind. I need some silver and some, a change of clothes here. You think he was happy with his leprosy? Or how about Demas, who sold out, made shipwreck because he was in love with the world? You think these guys in the end, you think that really made them happy? And Folks, there's emptiness at the end. Balaam would have gladly cursed God's people for the sake of getting what Balak had to offer. But you know what? His dead body laid out there with the rest of the dead Moabites not long after when Moses and troops came in. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. You see these things connected with it? There's trouble. The scripture says this, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. What's that mean? It means I need to really discern that happiness is not found in money. It never is. The idea always lends itself. Oh, if I had more, I'd be happy. But the scripture everywhere says it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. And our own experience, isn't it amazing? Your own experience tells you it's not true. And yet, there's still this desire at times to want more. God never promises joy in money. You know what Scripture says? In your presence there's a fullness of joy. Or, or Jesus said this, Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Those are the rejoice in the Lord. That's where our joy, that's where our fullness, that's where our satisfaction. Hey, you know what? If you've ever had a visitation of God on your soul, if you've ever had God come close, it's like that's everything. That is the most satisfying thing imaginable. And we just, we get, do you know how often in the Proverbs we get these proverbial betters? What's better than silver or gold? Listen to, what, listen to all the things that the Proverbs says are better than silver, that are better than choice gold, that are better than jewels, that are better than fine gold, that are better than great treasure, than great revenues, better than great riches. These are the things instruction is better wisdom is better the fruit of wisdom is better a little with the fear of the lord is better than great treasure a little with righteousness is better than great revenues poor person who walks in his integrity is better. A poor man is better than a liar. A good name 
is better than great riches, better than silver and gold. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man crooked in his ways. So realize that. It's, you know what, you know where happiness is found? Blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. You know who the happiest people are in the world? Givers. Okay. Where are we at? He's got like seven minutes. That's lots of time. Here's number five. Myth number five. My giving says little about my spirituality. Now, see, sometimes we measure people. Well, what's their doctrine? What do they believe? What biographies is that guy reading? See, yeah, I attend evangelism on Saturday. You see, we can kind of rate people like this. Do you realize how much money speaks about a person? Do you realize that if we're going to look for elders and deacons in this church, one of the things that you want to judge that person based on is how they handle money? Do you recognize that the Proverbs 31 woman has the quality about her that she extends her hand to the poor? You know what? Beauty and charm are vain. But what a woman does with her money, that's not vain. That contributes to her godliness. So, the fact is we get things like this. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are what? Pleasing in the sight of Pleasing to God. Do you want to be pleasing to God? Give. How about this? If you would be perfect, remember who that was said to? Rich man? If you would be perfect, what? Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So, so, what's pleasing to God? Giving. What in Jesus' estimation would make us perfect? Giving. How about this? The fast that God desires. We talked about this in the prayer meeting a few weeks back. What's the fast that God is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, not hide yourself from your own flesh? How about this? What is it to know God? Well, in Jeremiah, the prophet, we have this. Josiah, you remember what he did? He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. Or Paul and I were just talking. Religion that's pure and undefiled before the Lord is what? Widow and the orphan. That's what we have. It's, it's to deal with the orphan and the widow in their affliction. Or how about judgment day? Those that are specifically says, you who are blessed by my father. I was hungry and you fed me. See, there's this giving of oneself. Job was called blameless. When you read through Job, you know what? You know what he did? He did not withhold anything that the poor desired. He never caused the eyes of the widow to fail. He never ate his morsel alone. The fatherless ate of it with him. For from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. 
From my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body was not blessed by me, he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate and let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from his socket. The point is that it, what is God love? I mean, you know, this is an amazing thing. When you look through the New Testament at the things that it specifically says God loves, what does God love? A cheerful giver. So what is it to be perfect? What is it to meet the fast that God requires? What is it to have pure and undefiled religion? What is it to know God? What is it, what is it to be that which God loves? I mean, brethren, you just can't get away from all this. This, this is, and then you get this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just ask you this, where's your treasure? Where's your heart? There, the, your heart's going to be right there. Where your heart is, your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Or you, you get this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. He gave. Now, he was giving in, in the fact that it was a sacrifice before the Lord. But the thing is that giving goes hand in hand with faith. You can, it says how you, what you do with your money says, says volumes about where you're at spiritually volumes. Don't you want to be that person that God loves? God loves a cheerful giver. Here's myth six. They get shorter. Myth number six, my financial problems have nothing to do with my giving. I've seen this through the years. There is case after case that I know of where people, they run into financial problems and you know what? They're not generous people. And the myth is, hey, my financial problem has nothing to do with my giving. Well, I read this in Scripture. One gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 19 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him again for his deed. Deuteronomy 15 talks about helping your brother. And it says, then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. How about this one? Give and it will be given to you. This is Luke 6. Give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do you really believe that? I mean, look, there's, there's just biblical principles about giving and receiving that you can't get away from. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty bursting with wine. Ecclesiastes says, There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Now you've got this proverbial reality in sec set forth in Second Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So myth six is, my financial problems have nothing to do with my giving. Don't, don't believe that one, folks. I'll tell you this. I would say if you're going to ever err, err on the side of giving too much. Why? Because that widow gave everything, and she was a widow. And Jesus didn't fault her, and I'll guarantee God took care of her. I'll guarantee when we meet that woman in glory, we're going to find out all of her needs were met 100% of the time. Here's myth seven. My money is mine. Now here's one that we won't admit that we believe but we act like we believe it. 
My Aunt Peggy said to me, now she was lost, and I was telling her, Aunt Peggy, my money is not mine. My money is the Lord's. Because my dad was making fun of me for giving to the church that I had in Michigan. And he said, that your pastor's laughing all the way to the bank. And, and I said, Dad, this is what God wants me to do with my money. And, and uh, it's, it's not mine anyway. I mean, it it's all belongs to the Lord. My Aunt Peggy said, my money is mine. It is not God's. Well, my Aunt Peggy is dead. And she now knows the reality of that. And you know what else you don't want to say? Not only my money is mine. That's a myth. But you don't want to say 90% of my money is mine. That is a myth as well. Listen, this is God speaking. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, it's his. The birds of the hills, he says, I know them all. All that moves in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. In Job, he says, Who's first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Or you have this in Matthew 25. Remember this? The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Everything that's been given to you, it's his property. All of it. It's his, it's his sole owner. And after a long time, that master is going to come. And the, I mean, one of the reasons we can tell he's a true owner is because when he comes, we're only servants. He's going to settle accounts with us. And remember this guy, he also who had received the one talent came forward. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent. Yeah, well, at least he got that right. It was his talent. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Brethren, what we have is his. You may have stewardship of it, but you don't have ownership. And that's a myth to think otherwise. So, here's another one. Myth number eight. Tithing is the standard for Christian giving. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Listen, tithing was not the standard for Old Testament giving. It is not the standard for New Testament giving. You say, oh, wait, what does Malachi say? Yeah, exactly. What does Malachi say? You have robbed me with regards to what? Tithes and offerings or tithes and contributions. Folks, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't just merely a tithe. It was tithes and offerings. You see, the tithes were what were mandated by law. You didn't even start freely giving until after that. And I heard John MacArthur say this. So you pay 10% to the Levites to support them as they operated in behalf of God and the government. You paid 10% to take care of the national festivals, which were many, many. Then you paid another 10% every third year, which went to the poor and the widows. So if you broke that down, you were at about 23.3% per year. Now, what that was, was an income tax system. That was a system of taxation to fund the government and its religious activities and its welfare needs. So when people today say, we want to tithe now, like they did in the Old Testament, they can't stop at 10%. They've got to go to 23.3 to start with. In addition to that, you paid half shekel temple tax every year. In addition to that, if you had a field, you had to harvest 
the field in a circle and leave the corners open to the poor. It was a profit-sharing plan. If you dropped a bale of hay off your wagon on the way to the barn, you had to leave that for the poor. So the total approximated 25%. But then you had the offerings and the contributions on top of that. So you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. The tithe was mandatory. So you had 25% that was basically mandatory. You didn't even start giving freely till after that. Listen, the Gentiles who didn't know the Old Testament prophets when the apostles came to them, you know, the most extensive teaching on giving in the New Testament, where is it? Apostolically speaking. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Let me tell you what happens. To a church in Corinth that's much like us, Gentiles, here's what was used. Consider the Macedonians. They were poor and they gave a lot. Consider Jesus. He was rich. He became poor for our sakes. Consider the manna. Some had more, some had less, but none had extra. He says, consider this. God loves a cheerful giver. He said, consider this, that when you give, God always takes care of the one who's sowing. He's going to supply you. He said, consider this, that when you give to others, they will offer thanksgiving up to God on your behalf. He said, consider this. Consider God's inexpressible gift for you. And so these, this is the way they argued. Brethren, the widow put in what percentage? 10%? 100%. And Zacchaeus came along and he said, Lord, I give 50%. And then you had the you had the fact that people, if anybody was poor in the church, there were people that were selling lands. We don't know what percentage it was, but you sell a piece of land, that can, that can be a major part of your investment in this world. And they laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. Brethren, can I tell you something? That giving in the New Testament, what is, how does John say it? If you see your brother in need, what? But you see what the point is? It's not law-driven, it's love-driven. And so let's be away with the legalities of, of 10% kinds of thinking. So, myth number nine. You ready for this? Myth number nine. Retirement, health insurance, life insurance, and inheritance for my children are necessary. You know what the question is here? And this is where faith gets tested. You know what happens when people amass money in retirement, insurance policies, and inheritance for their little children? The first thing you just have to ask yourself is, am I being consistent with what Jesus taught when he said, don't lay up treasure here? Now look, every one of us have to walk by faith. Every one of us have to make decisions. Certainly, Jesus carried a money bag. What was the money bag used for? Well, it was a holding tank for funds that could be given to the poor, or used to buy their food or whatever. But you know what? Even when you run into situations like, oh no, there's 5,000 people here to feed and look what's in the money bag. That, that, that won't hardly go far enough. But you know what? If Jesus is with us, it's okay. And what we have to do is get to the place where we really trust. Do I need money to set my trust on? Do you remember what the rich are told? Don't set your trust on that. You better trust God. 
And you better ask yourself whether you're amassing all of these accounts and all of these IRAs and these 401ks. And I don't know that's in the U.S. I don't know what they call them all here. But the, the fact is, if you're if you're amassing all this, you need to ask yourself, have you really bent the knee to, to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you really trusting God? And here's the thing. You can take money and you can put it in a bank here or you can put it in stocks and bonds. You can put it into mutual funds. Okay, what's the return? I would just ask you this. If you took that money and put it in God's bank and then you came to the place where you or your children needed to draw on those funds, do you trust God enough that you are willing to do that? You see, the thing about having the money where we can reach it and access it is we want to maintain that control oftentimes if we're honest because we don't trust that God will give us what we want when we want it and as much as we want. If we're just being honest. You know what? You know what I desire? I desire God's people to live a little bit more by faith each year. Faith is that kind of thing that grows. It blossoms. It's, it, it's the kind of thing that it can be increased. Lord, increase our faith. You know what my hope is? My hope is that when you think about money, that next year you will live more by faith than you did this year. That you'll be challenged by things like this. Listen, are you too afraid? To do this. Who, who do you think has a better interest rate? You think God has a better interest rate? Or do you think that some mutual fund does? I mean, seriously. Do you think if you give everything away and then you find yourself in a place of need, do you really feel like God's going to abandon you? After what God says in Isaiah 58, that if you help the people and you pour yourself out for the hungry, then you cry out. He says, I'm going to say, here I am. That means I'm going to answer. I'll be there. I'll help you. You know what? Remember Voltaire? He sarcastically said, when it comes to money, all men's religion is the same. Perhaps in no place is Christianity less like Christ, who, who didn't have any place to lay his head, and more like the world. Christianity is more like the world when it comes to money. What, you know what the world does? They save for retirement. So does the church. They amass massive amounts of health insurance and life insurance. So does the church. They amass huge amounts of money to, to hand on to their children and their grandchildren. So do people in the church. Secularism and selfishness did abound out there in the world. The church has bought into it, folks. We strive. You know what? We've got these political systems out here who do certain things. And I recognize if the government forces you to pay into something, then it's only right for you to submit to Caesar and have an expectation that if there are benefits coming from what you invested there, that you'll get them back when you get old or whatever. I, I don't have it. I mean, there's no problem with that. But brethren, what we don't want to do is buy into this. We don't want to buy into this delusion that the rest of the world, we claim to be followers of the one who said, don't amass for yourselves fortunes here. Don't lay up treasure here. That's the one we follow. And what we have to do is ask ourselves, are we more like those people who sold their property and gave to the poor? Or are we more like the people out here in the world all around us? Listen, the, the New Testament's perspective is what? The new, per, look at, 
there's some Old Testament realities about inheritance and that kind of thing. But brethren, if we're really honest, when you come into the New Testament, you look at the New Testament perspective, we just have to ask this, what is it that I want to lay up for my children? Well, even if I say financially, is there a place for me to put it aside and save it so that when I'm old, now I can give it to them? Or is there a place to give it and then look to the Lord? Lord, I'm investing this there, but I'm also very, I'm concerned about my children. I want to see my children provided for. I want to see them helped. I want to see them especially have a spiritual heritage. I mean, I think we just have to be honest with the New Testament's progressive revelation and that it, it is emphasizing that which is spiritual and that which is eternal and that which is inward. And do we really understand the New Testament's perspective on money? on savings, on, on all these things. I mean, do we really understand Jesus' teaching? Here's the last one very quickly. Myth number 10, if only God would provide, then we could do it. Then we could do so much more. This, this, this is basically the myth that says we got to see the money in hand before we dare attempt anything for God. Listen, the truth is God has already provided. You say, what is he? He's provided promises. You know what Hudson Taylor did? They found him whistling. He had all these missionaries on the missionary field. And he said, I don't have a quarter in my pocket. Because the guy, what happened was one of his, one of his aides, secretaries, whatever, saw, saw him whistling. He really liked that, Jesus, I am trusting, trusting. And, and uh, so how can you be whistling? You've got all these missionaries out there in the field, and you don't have any money. You don't have anywhere to care for them. He said, I don't have a quarter in my pocket, but I've got all the promises of God. And that what we have to do is remember that we have a God that says through the, the Apostle Paul that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You've got George Mueller. He sat all the kids down and he, had, and he thanked God for the breakfast. And then there comes the milkman. He breaks down. Here comes the baker, and he, God woke him up at 3 a.m., and there's the food. My previous pastor in Texas, he said, you know what? They were, they went, he went into the ministry full time. He quit his secular job. He believed that that's what God wanted him to do. He said, all we had in the house was one can of beans. And he said, my wife burned it. I sat the family down, he said, and we prayed and thanked God for the food. And before we were done praying, there was a knock at the door and the neighbor lady said she was impressed to bring food. Listen, let me tell you something. What we do with money has everything to do with what we really believe at the deepest level. Do you trust what God has said? Are we more like Christ or are we more like the world? Brethren, this thing with money, there it is. You got the hour and 15 minute version and uh, 10 myths. But brethren, we really want to break with these myths. Will God help us? Lord, Do help us to be faithful. Do help us to not trust in, in the uncertainties of filthy lucre, but to trust in the living God. Lord, help me. I want to make the wisest decisions, the decisions of faith. I want to walk before you as one who you love. I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to be that which you love. I want to be that which is well-pleasing to you. I want to be that have, have that fast that 
is the fast that that you look for and that you desire to see. Lord, I pray that you would make us a giving people. Oh, Christ, the wealth, the eternal riches, and he became poor so that we might be made rich. I just, I thank you for the inexpressible gift. In Christ's name I pray.